And we're live. Sal, how you doing? What's up? How are you? Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm doing good. We're going to talk about an agorist primal. And we're going to talk about... Whoop, let me get the light on it. There we go. And the New Libertarian Manifesto, both by Samuel Edward Conkin III. This is my first time reading him. And I got to say, this book was so amazing, I almost quit my job to one drugs. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> yeah. incredible. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um... <laughs> At least not not before thinking about it significantly. <laughs> hmm. So, how did you hear about these books? Like, what what was your first time reading them? Like, how did you find out about them? Um, I don't know honestly how I first heard about them. I forget, but um, I guess for me, I really sort of discovered agorism. Um, I sort of like the like I, I sort of discovered the counter economic aspects of it first. Hmm. Um, I went to like Fork Fest, like million years ago and people were actually trading cryptocurrency and silver coins and 3d printing guns and stuff like that they were actually doing these things so that's when i realized um you know hey this is the way to go rather than argue about these things let's just assert our freedom you know we are already free so why negotiate with terrorists um you know in congress so let's just assert our freedom. And once I realized that there was a philosophy behind that called agorism, I sort of delved into Sam Konkin and the philosophical and theoretical aspects of it. And I was, of course, sold even more. Hmm. I agree. Yeah, it's incredible books. If you listen to these people, you haven't read them. I absolutely recommend it. Uh, he is a, he's, also, he's not just the books aren't interesting. He's a, he's an enjoyable also. I, I enjoyed listening to reading his books. It was a, it was fun. Um, agorism, it, it, to me, it, it is it is libertarian consistency in practice. And there's a lot of arguments right now going on, on Twitter and everyone about can consistent libertarian principles get us liberty? And I think if you're trying to go, people who say consistent libertarian principles through politics, that's not consistent libertarian principles. Right. That's sort of um, jumping over to the primer. That's sort of what you're talking about here in, in the Doris primer. That's that's. That's really my personal favorite book on agorism because and I think Jose said the same thing, if I remember correctly, when you had him on. Um, and I, at least for me, it's because it just the book really shows how agorism is really just the result of the logically consistent application of the non-aggression principle. So like to me, it just really sort of draws out how if you start from the nap, you inevitably must wind up with agorism. And that's that's super powerful as far as I'm concerned. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm gonna jump a little bit ahead in the book. He talked about something. Uh, trying to talk about something called anarcho-Zionism, fleeing to a free state. And all I could think of, because not only is that hilarious, I could think of is um, the Free State Project. In, uh, what's oh, what's what state is it? Oh, what's New Hampshire. It? New Hampshire. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, is that anarcho-Zionism? Because I, I I support the New Hampshire people. I think they have a good idea going, but it kind of seems after hearing the term anarcho-Zionism. Yeah, yeah. I um, also supported all of those different things, not just the Free State Project, but also seasteading, private cities, um, any sort of like thing like that. I was always, you know, gung ho about it. I, had, I did episodes on my show about seasteading, all these different things. But um, I also came across uh, Sam's writing about anarcho Zionism, and it changed the way I thought about it as well. Because he, the one point that he made to me that really stuck out was you're sort of creating a sort of um, 
geographic concentration of libertarians, which is really an easy mark for the state. Yeah. And the whole the whole the whole strategy relies on um, the moral restraint of politicians, Sam says. And then he says, of course, they have none. So it's really a, a really pretty flawed strategy from the get go. I agree. I agree. I, my my only problem is it's the state they chose from the weird, weird state to me. Like if they if they say the go is assessed, they chose the state that's deadlocked. It seemed like a really poor location. It's cold. Me. It's cold yeah. in New Hampshire. Florida seems like a much better option, especially given the last year of COVID. Florida seemed like the much better choice. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm here in um, St. Petersburg, and I'll oh. I, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else in the world other than Florida <laughs> during all of this giant scandemic. Dude, same. I before COVID started, I was planning to like move and go to college somewhere else, and now I'm like, fuck, fuck that. No, I am never leaving. <laughs> oh, see, this is me. this is my refuge. See, like I'm I'm originally from the Northeast, so I'm like I'm basically a refugee here. My plan was actually to not. I was actually not supposed to be here. I was gonna like, I was gonna be like somewhere probably in like Asia or something by now. But of course, you can't travel and stuff like that so um florida was the next best thing for me and i actually love it here so I'm probably here for a while at least well that's good yeah we need i have no i have a problem people migrating to florida if they vote but you, you don't vote so i have no problem <laughs> exactly yeah no and i encourage others not to so that's right so uh i i completely remember i haven't had you introduce yourself go ahead to people uh, who you are um sal mayweather sal Ugorist, um I'm just, uh, you guys might know me from um, Twitter and, and or from my Facebook page, Print Guns Not Money. I have uh, a couple different businesses, three print to go burn, agorathreads.com. And um, I'm just basically a, um, just a sort of, uh, I don't know what the word is, promoter of agorism, I guess. And that's sort of what I do. When I first got into Liberty Space, I, I came into uh, Joe Jorgensen. Um, and I first got into oh, it, wow. I was still, yeah, still gun ho on like politics. Um, and then I, I immediately blocked you on Twitter. Like, nice. not voting. That's stupid. Block. I blocked a lot. I had to go to my block list recently. Like, okay, do I actually want to keep any of these blocks? Because my entire political view has changed incredibly over six months now. And so I had to unblock a lot of people. It's, it's funny how that happens. They say that the difference between a minarchist and an anarchist is about six months. So maybe it's interesting, oh, yeah. right? It was, it was about six months. I mean, and COVID and Twitter are speeding that process up. So it's going to be fun to see what happens in the next year and a half or so. I don't think I, I think you're the first person I know who was convinced by Joe Jorgensen. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, I had a friend who was a very convincing. Uh, I went from Trump to Andrew Yang to Jorgensen. So I'm pretty sure you can give me anywhere in the map. Oh, my God. Day. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was all over the place. Yeah, um, you read you read one good slogan in a meme, and you're like, "That's my personality now." But oh, you still there? You froze. Hey, I think I lost it. You still there? Mm. Is my internet is my internet going down? No, I got full service. Well, I think we lost him, guys. Hmm. We'll wait a little bit until he comes back in. Yeah. yeah. He's back, everybody. Sal is back. Oh, but he's just so frozen. I say Yang, and he just dips right out. 
Well, anyway, while we wait for his connection to reestablish, um, I got a bunch of interesting shows coming up. Go ahead and subscribe to the notification bell. Um, yeah, I got some cool guests coming on. I got Thomas DeLorenzo coming on next uh, next week. So go ahead and subscribe for that. Hopefully, Sal's internet, or my internet, Sal's internet starts to work again because I was really looking forward to the episode. And I hope uh, hope it's not over. Be the storiest episode I've ever done. Uh, let's see. Is it my internet? No, my internet. I got full service here. Ah, this sucks. Um. So, agorism or agorism, however it's uh, pronounced. See, I'm gonna give about another minute, and then I'm gonna have to just text him and say, "Hey, man, uh, I guess internet's not working. We'll have to reschedule." Ah, here when this happens. I had this happen with uh, Sane Hazel. Oh, he's gone completely. Well, wait a few minutes before he pops back in. I had the same situation happen with uh, Sane Hazel. I had him on the podcast and nothing worked. Hey, he's back. Hey, so I don't know what I don't know what happened. I'm, I apologize. I said, I said Yang, and you just dipped right out. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Uh, you think Joel and Yang? Oh, what a loser. Just dips. <laughs> No, like, I don't know if my internet just shit out or what happened, but that was weird. That's never happened before. So I had the same thing happen with uh, who was I had Andrew from Popular Liberty on, and he went out for like ten minutes, just no connection. I had like I had to I had to fill in. Oh for my 10 god! Minutes, so. Hopefully, it yeah. doesn't happen again. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully. Um. So what, what were we talking about? We're talking about agorism. Um. Uh, Jorgensen and Yang and Trump, and yeah. you're all over the place, and then you yeah. wound up at the you finally wound up at the right place, though, and that's all finally. that counts. Yeah, I, I got I went anatomy to state, and then I went to Mises. I'm like, this is it, this is the boom, done. Place to be. Yeah, um, nice. but no, this, honestly, this book, like, I would, I, if someone asked me a book recommendation, it'd be Constitution of Authority, Anatomy of the State, and uh, probably this one, or I go yes. to Primer. I don't know which one I would recommend first, but uh, well, you know what, I, I prefer the, the primer. Because, like I said, I think that really just sort of shows how it's agorism is the natural, just natural outcome of um, the application of the non-aggression principle. That's why I prefer that book. But this book is great too, because it really shows how um, how agorism is going to sort of create a free society, and that's what I think is really, you know, a lot of the debate you see on social media and stuff is about strategy and things like that. Yeah. Which is wonderful, but I think that's sort of the book that really lays out the Agorist case. Actually, let's get into that for a little bit. I have it written down. I want to talk about the hit. Uh, he, he laid out five phases of strategy, I believe it was. What page is it on? Uh, four. Four phases, yeah. Um, four phases, yeah. Here we go. Uh, yeah, it starts about zero dis- a zero density agorist society to a low density and kind of the different. Let's go into that a little bit. Like, so. What would you say we are at now? Because the internet, the decentralization of crypto, I can't seem to figure out because it seems so it's so decentralized, I can't figure out like at all where we are because it seems like we've gone global. Right. That's a great question. So there's four phases to the Agorist Revolution. Phase one, which is like full on statism, phase four, which is the Agora. It's the it's marked by an absence of politics. And then there's two intermediary stages in there. Um, I actually think personally that the state is much weaker than they're letting on. I think that they're actually um, 
unstable. People think that they're sort of timeless and immovable, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think that they're actually very weak right now. Um, I think that we're actually in phase three of the of the sort of Agoras revolution right now. One of the things Sam says is that we'll know that we're in phase three when we start to see the counter economy sort of take on um, sort of when, when we see the counter economy develop infrastructure. And I think we're starting to see that already, right? We're starting to see small, albeit small changes, but changes nonetheless. Um, for example, the um, space shuttle program was closed. And, uh, you know, now the private sector does that mm. uh, to a greater extent. You know, we can argue about how much SpaceX is private, but it's, it's certainly an improvement. It's a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Cryptocurrency is sort of upsetting the uh, monetary infrastructure. Um, Microsoft has this project they're working on called Airband, where they're um, sort of ex they're just going to be providing free Wi-Fi and broadband to rural areas of the country. Where if you think about think back to like the Tennessee uh, Valley Electrification Authority, whatever that thing was called. My point here is that the, the market is starting to adopt all of these functions that were once reserved for the state. And I think to me, that's an indicator that we're in phase three of the revolution, which actually I think makes sense. If you like look at what the central bank is up to and stuff like that, like I said, I think they're much weaker than we actually, than appearances let on. So it makes sense for us to be so far into the, the revolution. That makes sense. I can, I can agree with that. Let's, Let's try to go into this. Uh, I, I don't know if you had the. I had the copy that has the uh, Agua's class Sui in it, and I. Oh, I, it's great. I, I yeah. I didn't get to finish it. Sadly, I, I finished the books today. Actually, I uh, hurt my back and documents and pain meds for the week, and I couldn't focus enough to read. And so I. Oh, okay. I, thankfully, today I was able to finish the book. Literally, I was reading it before you hopped on the stream. <laughs> nice, good. Um, but folks, incredible. Let's talk about the. Uh, let's talk about Agua's class Sui a little bit. Like, what exactly is the uh, Agua's class Sui in comparison to say other types of class series like the yeah so this is great um this is agorist class theory was written by wally conger who's um this great great agorist and uh the idea here is that and this is why people sort of accuse us of being left anarchists we get sort of branded as left libertarians because of this but i i, I fully subscribe to this idea and the whole thing is that look yes there is this sort of binary class division Karl marx was right Right. He, he, mm -hmm. he was right about that, at least. And that's probably the only thing he was right about was that yeah. there actually is this binary class division. Um, it's sort of undeniable at this point. And I think libertarians who try to pretend otherwise are really just being unrealistic. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there obviously is a upper upper tier of elites and there's the rest of us. Right. This is pretty mm -hmm. obvious when you look when you, you know, just a cursory glance at the news and this becomes clear. Um what Marx got wrong, though, is Marx thought it was the worker versus the entrepreneur. And he, he really got this completely backwards because the entrepreneur actually, you know, helps the worker um, in a number of different ways. You know, any worker-owned factory or something like that, all of the workers would have to sacrifice and forego consumption in order to save up for raw goods and materials, whereas in... Um, you know, our model in a capitalist system, the entrepreneur saves up. They're the ones who forego consumption. They suffer. They're the ones who have to, you know, delay, um, you know, consumption as Hop would say and, and stuff like that. 
and and they uh you know the capital that they saved up they use for for that stuff so they're bearing the burden that the workers would normally have to do so marx was wrong it's not the worker versus the entrepreneur what wally congress says and what we agorists think is that it's actually the plundered class versus the uh, a class of plunderers and um I think that's pretty accurate if you think about it. There's been other libertarians who've spoken a little bit about this, um, but very few ANCAPs have. The only one I can ever think of that really mentioned it um, is Walter Block. Just He has like a little thing about it in his book, Space Capitalism. But um, it's really something that's sort of unique to agorism. Hmm. Yeah, um, have you ever seen uh, Hopper's What Mox Got Right Lexo or Speeds? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have. I, I may Papa, have. Papa basically said uh, Marxism got the, he got the players wrong, but he got the uh, positions right. Exactly. So he, yeah, and so I uh, watching that and then reading this, I kind of like, okay, I think there's people who want to write off any single for one bad for like people want to write off Marx completely. I mean, I, I get it, but like, someone that influenced it, you should kind of understand a little bit of his ideas of going to combat him and see if you can pull something he did get right. Because where right, is well, someone 100 wrong? Well, Marx was um, a fool. He was no, no doubt about it. He was, he was not the brightest candle on the cake. There's, there's no question in my mind. But, you know, he was right that there is this sort of binary sort of class struggle going on in society. He just, you know, almost like, 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 like you said Hoppe described, he described the plot of the play correctly. He just got the characters wrong. Hmm. Let's talk about the different kinds of markets. Um, there's black markets obviously what are the other ones again there's a black market so yeah so we so we focus on the black and gray market the black market is just stuff that's prohibited and the gray market is stuff that is regulated and together they sort of form the counter economy um we think that sort of by through entrepreneurship we'll be able to shift more resources into the anarchic markets the actually free markets like the black and gray markets away from the state controlled um white and, and and red markets and stuff like that which by the way the white market is stuff that's legal that they tolerate um you know any any you know approved transaction and then the red market is you know violent stuff that you don't want anything to do with um, yeah. war genocide things that politicians specialize in <laughs> What is crypto for? Because it's not—it's not regulated, but it's not like they are in support of it. So does crypto kind of fall in like this gray thing, or like where would you play crypto falls? I would say I would say it's sort of a gray market um, activity. Of course, it depends how you use it, right? Ross mm -hmm. sort of was able to sort of blend it in both a gray and black market way, mm -hmm. which of course was so powerful that they ended up giving him double life plus forty. But if you don't mind, actually, I uh, I don't know the full story of Ross. I I've seen some tweets. I don't know really the most like the details. Can you, can you explain what you know about the Ross uh, Obrick story to me a little bit? Oh man, yeah. So it's a crazy story. He's he's a real hero. So Ross was an agorist, and he read um, Janiel Shulman's Alongside Night, which is another great agorist book that everybody should read. It's actually a movie, a really bad movie they made with Kevin <laughs> Solo that you can watch. I think it's for free online somewhere. But um, yeah, so Ross read the book and he got the idea to actually create a, a really free market, like the one that, that Janiel Shulman depicts in the book. And, um, you know, there was never a way to do that until cryptocurrency came about. And now all of a sudden you have this peer-to-peer -peer cash. Now you can, 
we can actually facilitate transactions between two people who aren't face-to-face -face without the need for a third-party intermediary like Visa or a bank or some other legacy institution that's going to report your purchases to the state, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, Ross realized that Bitcoin enabled these sorts of transactions and he created the Silk Road, which was this sort of um, deep web marketplace that existed only on Tor, which was, you know, uh, secure con uh, encryption and stuff like that, safely hidden away from the state's prying eyes. And people did, they transacted freely. And it was actually really amazing. All of a sudden, um, you know, drug addicts, rather than going down to the corner and risking getting shot or killed or raped or something terrible like that, now they could sign on and they can look at a, a seller's reviews, almost like Amazon, right? Like mm -hmm. this guy's selling dope, but he has five stars. No one's ever OD'd on his dope. So I know that I'm probably a little bit safer here. Mm -hmm. So it made the whole drug... Um, market much safer and um, you know of course I think Ross's only rule was that you, there, you can't buy and sell any sort of violent services hmm. so this was a really big threat to them right all of a sudden you have this um, free market but even more so than that now you have someone who's actually showing you um, what the non-monetary utility of Bitcoin is again to facilitate peer-to-peer hmm. -peer transactions I think that that's what they were actually afraid of because that's what actually disrupts the central bank's monopoly. We know from Mises and Menger and regression theorem that um, you know any money needs to have a non-monetary use case before it can be widely adopted. And once Ross proved that is you know that Bitcoin has that function, that capacity, I think they all honestly shit their pants. Sorry for cursing, Sorry. but um, and I think that that really. Um, scared them and that's why the federal judge and domestic terrorist Catherine B Forrest gave Ross a first time nonviolent offender double life plus 40 which is more than Nazis received at Nuremberg it's more than African dictators received at The Hague it just goes to show you how um, how effective agorism and counter economics actually is right mm -hmm. they're focusing their firing power on this on Ross Ulbricht not mm -hmm. on um, some militia in the woods of Montana yeah. or something like that, right? Because th that's not the real threat. The real threat mm -hmm. comes from agorism and counter economics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Does... one, thing, one thing I'll just add real quick about mm -hmm. Ross is that one thing Ross proves is that they can never actually stop us. They can, only, mm. they, they, they can never stop an agorist. They can only magnify their effect because we don't, we don't, you're not going to see a good agorist, you know, once they do uncover one of our operations, we don't die in some shootout with the police. Rather, we, we sort of welcome their, their abuse. We sort of welcome their licks because that just, you know, sort of puts their brutality on display for the public to see. And a lot mm. of times it's the only, it's the only time that members of the public will ever have to come face to face with the state's brutality. That's what Gandhi did, and I think that's what Ross Ulbricht is doing right now. And that's why, you know, over half a million people have signed the petition to release him, and that's at freeross.org, and everybody should should sign on. That would be in the description, freeross.org.org. Um, that's like something I was gonna ask about was, that seemed like the only, um, his algorithm it being so decentralized that like, how do you avoid a, because like his, it seemed like he got too big. You know, he was he became noticeable. If algorithm is counting like an hour to say unnoticeable, how do you go about like conducting your business in a way where you can be successful, but not so successful you attract unwanted eyes? 
Right, right. So we're sort of like agorists and, and sovereign citizens are very like we're we're very much alike in the sense that we both reject any sort of political claim over our sovereignty. We're not even going to sit down to the negotiating table with these people, these these loser politicians. We just we never want to talk about it. It's not even up for debate. But we differ from the sovereign citizens in that sovereign citizens will martyr themselves in open defiance of the political class. And we agorists don't want to die anytime soon. Yeah. So what we do to avoid that is we use operational security or OPSEC, which is a risk reduction process um, that's designed to conceal sensitive information from status parasites um, and snitches and, and prying eyes and stuff like that. And, you know, we can go into as much detail as you want, but normally we like break it up into three different parts. We have privacy, secure computing, and encrypted communications. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the amount of risk that each agorist, each counter-economic operator incurs is going to be relative to his or her lifestyle. So somebody who's like doesn't have as much risks and obligations is going to be able to take on more risk and, and stuff like that. But um, there's plenty of low risk opportunities for people who are like, you know, you've got a family and a mortgage and stuff like that. There's plenty of low risk ways to engage the Agora um, also. Hmm. I think that's one of the things that Rothbard got wrong is that he didn't think that counter economics was something that everybody could do. And I think that that's he, he really sort of missed the mark on that one, right? It is something that we can all do. Hmm. On sovereign citizens, I, I before I even knew what like a lib, uh, an anarchist was, I knew what a sovereign citizen was because my um, my Boy Scout scoutmaster is a, is a local judge, and he went on a little rant about how stupid sovereign citizens are. And I guess I'm thinking like that makes sense to me though. Like I don't get why. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, why is he stupid for thinking yeah. that he's sovereign? Yeah, it's like your a, honor. Like he just and he was he was a crazy one. He was a like I don't know, he's an ultra a free will doesn't exist Calvinist. And I do not feel comfortable a guy who doesn't who doesn't believe in free will being a judge. I, I don't know <laughs> yeah, I think right. that connection there upsets me a little bit. I'm not surprised though. It actually probably where he's probably very good at, at being a state judge. <laughs> I mean if he had to be a state judge, probably, yeah. Hmm. Um let's get talk about counter let's talk more about counter economics for a little bit. Um I would say one thing I did enjoy about Conkin and uh, Agus Primo is he sums things up succinctly and clearly very easily. Like yeah. you read the first chapter on economics, I'm like, hey, I forgot. This is how like you get to talk about talking about economics, but you sound more like sound smarter, so you like you drum it up a little bit. He just simplifies it so much I could hand it to, like even my mom and say, hey, you know, economics, so I'll read this a little bit. Say, okay, I know what you're interested in now. You know, like he was very yeah. good at simplifying. And he like things. sort of like reviews. Um reviews like the basics he sort of sets the stage for mm -hmm. where he's going which is nice yeah it's again if you're interested and haven't read it yet i i can't recommend it enough i'm probably gonna actually read it again tomorrow because i sped read it for the podcast and i want to go through it one more time because it was really no i've got to read it again no i want to read it <laughs> all over it's great i want to i'm thinking i'm, I'm gonna see if uh, jose or someone wants to come on and do like a two-part like uh live reading where we read it live and like dissect different parts of it kind of just do a you know who Matt oh, Erickson? Nice. You know who Matt Erickson and King Poet is? You know? Um, I don't I don't I don't I don't know, perhaps. He's a, he's a, he's a most powered influence kind of like Jason Saperton guy. And he's doing this thing where he'll read someone and he'll uh we'll read him live and like take pause and dissect what they're talking about. And I'm gonna try to do the same with uh some agorist work, like read it and dissect it live and kind of like go deeper into 
each thing. So very cool. Yeah, we actually need. Um, there's a lot of Agoras books that aren't. Um, we have to actually. We we need to make some audio versions of. Yeah, I couldn't so find audio nice. versions for either of these books. Like I, I looked online, I found one. And the guy skipped like two chapters. There's, you know, John Loth has um, a YouTube version that's pretty good of New Libertarian Manifesto, but I don't know of any of the other ones. One thing I, I've always, uh, I've, you know, I have got a million plans. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take all of them and sort of create this sort of uh, audiobook anthology. But mm. it's one of those things I'll, I'll get to eventually, hopefully. An Agua's handbook, like the Michael Malice uh, Anarchist handbook. <laughs> yes, right, exactly. Uh, I actually I need to do, I need to read uh what was that one you mentioned the um the fictional story uh alongside night, night. alongside, alongside night. night yeah, yeah. This, like I said there's a movie um with Kevin Sorbo from Hercules mm. that uh you can watch that's that, that that does a pretty good I mean it's not the best movie but it does explain the agorist philosophy fairly well nice I'll check it out I might do a movie I might do a movie review on it. I did a home runs are going through Hopper stuff. I might do a home runs going through Agua stuff because there seems to be a nice. lot here, and it's it's very interesting. Well, I've, two I've, brilliant I've, philosophies right there. So oh, yeah, I honestly that's the only thing we're gonna really that's gonna win is Hopper's uh, what must be done localist strategy, and then Agorism to survive outside the state. Like I think that's the only thing that's gonna actually work going forward, and not not this Mises caucus which I was a part of or anything like that. Like national politics is over. I think local is the only way to do it. Yeah, like you know. <sighs> A lot of people think that there's a sort of um, like uh, you know headbutting between the Agoras and the Hoppians, and I don't really feel that way. In fact, I, I think it's they're sort of complementary in a sense. Like you know, Hop had the idea, Hoppa had the idea of you know we're we're just really sort of trying to institute his philosophy. If you think about it, at the end of the day, so I don't see why there should be any sort of um, friction there. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I, someone just went through all of Hopper's books last month and now going through Agoras books. And like I don't the only problem I see is that Hoppians probably read someone say left libertarians and want to put the book down immediately. Yeah. Well that that's exactly what happens. And then, you know, there are some disagreements, right? Like like um for example, uh you know, can one one sort of counter economic activity would be like immigrant smuggling, right? Because it's mm -hmm. sort of a peaceful entrepreneurial way to um engage the black and gray market, so it's part of agorism. Of course, hobbyists don't really like that because they tend to be more right wing on immigration. But, you know, I don't I the way I see it, I don't think that one issue, one sort of disagreement means that, um, you know, there's any that we can't get along. I'm sure yeah. each agorist and each hobbyist has more disagreements with their own family members than they do with each other, you know, oh, yeah. especially if that's the only point of contention. Absolutely. I mean. Speaking of family, but yesterday, for the people listening, you might find this funny. Uh, I was at, I, had a, I, had a, I went to my grandparents and my aunt yesterday for dinner, and we talked about uh, my grandpa said I saw a poll on Fox News that people, uh, your generation, pointed to me like they want to go fight for their country. I'm like, good, <laughs> good, <laughs> and that just started a shit show. I ended, I, I ended up just saying straight up like Amer the American government caused 9/11. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they don't. His generation would they usually don't appreciate those those sorts no. of comments. No, I I need to let it keep my mouth shut eventually. Well, you know, I, I mean, the way I see it is, if somebody's willing to criticize their own country, their own government, mm -hmm. I'm willing to listen, right? Because mm -hmm. those are the people, if you think about it, who are more capable of like self self criticism. Mm. That makes sense. I agree. I agree with that. 
let's kind of go deep into a bit of philosophy here. Uh, Cogner talked about the five axioms of agorism on a page. If you have this copy, page 77. Um, speaking of, again, being an anarchist against laws, but like Walter Block says, the only law I would make is all books have the same printing. That, that'd be the only law I'd make, and I think that's the only thing that should be acceptable. Pagination, he says, right? Pagination, yeah. Oh, he's he's great. I'm, I need to go through some. Of it. I've never actually read a Walter Block book. I've only uh, listened to his lectures. I actually need to go. Read oh man, books. he's the best. And actually, honestly, we're talking about agorism, but his books, Defending the Undefendable, I consider to be agorist classics. And I've I've even told him as such, um, and he he doesn't deny it. So, <laughs> not that he's a, a a supporter of the theory, but. I might, I, know, I might just throw those books into the end of the Agorist book months I'm doing. This kind of sort of at the end and try to incorporate yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch, um, you know, that you can throw in there too. Let's talk about these five axioms. So uh, first, if you want to, if you, if you want to, uh, can you define what an axiom is for everyone listening? Because I can't. I don't even know. I think it. Well, <laughs> let's see. Conkin says here, and on page seventy-six, an axiom is a principle or premise of a way of thinking. Hmm, that makes sense. Simple enough. The first axiom of agorism, the clo- the clo- closest approach to a free society is an uncorrupted agora, open marketplace. That makes sense. That seems pretty simple. The, ag- well, the agora, exactly. Like, can you go a little bit more into that? When you refer to agora, you just refer to an unregulated market? So, yeah. So, the agora, the term comes from the Greek market, right? Um, it's just you know, a free free and open marketplace. But if you think back to what we were saying before about like the four phases, right? In phase four, phase four is marked by an absence of politics, right? A complete, there is, there are no, there's no politics. And that's how you know that you're in the Agora, right? It's only economic transactions, only economic associations, mm. right? There's no sort of political transactions going on. And I think that's sort of what Konkin's getting at here is that, um, you know, in a free society, um, you only have marketplace transactions. And I think that's sort of, I think, I think that's probably what he's, what he's the point he's trying to make here. Mm. Let's move on to the second thing. Find on this page here. My, I think, I I think I, we're going on to the zeroth axiom. Yep, there you, go. you want to read this one? Sure. Sure. He says a zeroth axiom of agorism might be, there are no contradictions in reality and theory must be consistent with reality. This is something I get into trouble with um, on Facebook and social media. People say, um, what do they say? You're, you're, you're living in Kapistan or something like that. But my whole thing is, and, and my, my point to the, to the people who say that is that, you know, there, there, there is no sort of discrepancy, right? And, they, and then the, sometimes another thing is that another thing, another sort of criticism that I get is like, um, you're going to be the most consistent guy on the boxcar. And it's like, well, if, you, if you're consistent, then you're not going to be on the boxcar. Your presence <laughs> on the boxcar implies that your actions were inconsistent, right? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't work out. So I, I really disagree. I think that the only way out of this is through a consistent approach. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, going back to the whole point of the primer, the only, the only consistent outcome of uh, the, the, an application of the nap is, is agorism. Yeah, I do. Even someone says in Agwish, you're living in Kapistan in your head. It's like, no, I'm living it in reality. I'm creating my own minister in Kapistan. Like that's exactly. Go with agorism. That's, that's the. 
Exactly. That's the whole point of agorism. It's like you are already free, right? Yeah. The, the, we are already free. We just have this band of criminals oppressing us. Yeah. Freedom is not something that we need to negotiate with. It's something that you need to assert, right? So you, mm -hmm. so you, you can't be given to you by another man because it's yours. Yeah. So you, you have to assert it. You have to claim it as yours. And, and I think that sort of, you know, that's, that's the whole point. Once you, once you accept agorism, you are instantaneously free, right? There's no, there's no phone bank. You don't have to call and beg your senator. You don't have to work um, to get someone elected. There's none of that shit going on. There's none of that mm -hmm. crap. You just are free at, at the moment that you accept it. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the most powerful aspects of it. Before we move on to the third one, this is actually the point I want to talk about, was the, um, I can't remember what he called it, but the calculation of like, uh, what is the risk-reward factor of committing an act? Yes. So I learned recently, I, I did a show with somebody smarter than I am, and they were explaining to me how that actually is like a, a well-known mathematical formula, but for the listeners, Andrew, popular liberty. It might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think it was actually now that you, now that you bring that up, you're yeah, right. Same thing on my podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. So, um, I forget what it's called though. Now, like an idiot, I have to go back and watch yeah. that. But, um, yeah, so the idea is it's just a way to sort of evaluate risk and determine if something, you know, if, if some action is worth it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some counter-economic entrepreneurial behavior is, is going to be worth it if you factor yeah. in the risk. And, uh, you know, like I said, risk is going to be relative to the individual, though. So everybody has to sort of decide that for themselves. And it's, it's going to be, you know, determined by your lifestyle and your, your obligations and responsibilities. Like a good example is um, what I'm at, Bartow. We still have, uh, you can't sell booze on a Sunday morning before 12. We still have that law in place. And I've emailed the mail. I've talked to the city attorney. I have spent weeks, if not months, trying to get a hold of people. Just be like, listen, listen, I want to buy booze on a Sunday morning. This is ridiculous. Uh, and I, I look it up. The fine is only like $50. I'm like, I'm sorry, all these places are going to not sell a $50 bottle for a $50 fine. Right, it's exactly. Like, it's like, you know, how many cops are actually going to enforce it, right? How many um, probably going to be the buying it? Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's sort of, it, it's relative, right? It's relative. I'm sure the, the first fine is $50. Who knows what the fifth fine is going to be, of course. Probably losing your liquor license or something like that. Right, exactly. Like, I, I don't think the liquor store that I want to do, I get that. But we're talking about like this at like a grocery store, like a Publix or something. You know, like I can't, I went to buy a bottle of wine. I, my birthday, my 21st birthday was on a Sunday morning. And I went to go buy a bottle of wine on my 21st birthday. I said, sorry, so you got to come back in 12 hours, like in, six, in four hours. I'm like, what, what the fuck? What is absolutely this? insane. It's absolutely insane. But you know yeah. who, you know, who won't, um, who would sell you that bottle of wine on your birthday is an agorist. Right. So it's like, you know, that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, I'm sure you said, you said that, you know, you were, you writing letters or emails to the mayor, the council mm -hmm. or whatever it was, but like, I'd be willing to bet you got nowhere. Right. No, I, I, I got the one around. Exactly. Right. And that, that's what happens in politics. That, that's what politics is all about. So it's like rather than than sort of beg them for it, let's just go out and do it. Yeah. And, you know, you know, this plays out on a larger scale as well, too. So, like, do you remember that bill audit the Fed? Like it was and I, look, I, I was behind it. Everybody was behind it. Anybody with a brain was behind it. Like the idea was like we need to have an audit of the Federal Reserve so that people can see that it should be ended. But we couldn't even get an audit passed, right? It died in the Senate because Goldman Sachs donated a bunch of money 
to the Senate right before they were going to vote on it. So like, it's like the game is rigged, right? It's like you wouldn't sit down to play a game of cards that you knew you were going to lose ahead of time. So yeah. why are we why are we playing the political game? It's rigged. Rather than do that, right? Like compare the the failures of that bill to audit the Fed with the success of Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, right? Which has been more effective at protecting individuals from inflation? Which has been more effective at denying the military industrial complex mm -hmm. the financial capacity to murder children overseas? Right? It's not even a question. It's not even a question. So it's like, yeah. take your freedom. Again, I know I sound like a, I'm just repeating myself at this mm -hmm. point, but like, take your freedom, assert it. Don't ask anybody for it. They can't mm -hmm. give it to you because they don't have it. It's yours. This is, I've had a hard time, like, I notice this now and I can't, I don't know why it bugs me so much, but like, so many libertarians love Ayn Rand and love like entrepreneurial figures and stuff in their books, but they never actually want to go out and be entrepreneurs in some way that can like maybe upset the government. Right, exactly. Like, and that's 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 the whole um thing. And you know, another reason why we get labeled as gorus, we get labeled as left libertarians or left anarchists is because we don't like wage slavery, right? It's in you know slaves in, in the 19th century in the deep south, right? They had um you know, uh, a certain production, uh, almost all of their production automatically deducted from their earnings, right? And it was given to the plantation owner. Whereas, um, you know, now it's really, it's sort of no different. A wage worker has an, a portion of their earnings automatically deducted by the state. The term for that is slavery. So it's just, we call it wage slavery. So in order to avoid that, we, we tell people to be entrepreneurs, right? You can only, we know from the Austrians who specialized in, in entrepreneurship, like um, Kersner, Klein, Byland, um, all these brilliant thinkers. We know from them that in order to allocate resources, one must be an entrepreneur to do that. So in order to allocate resources away from the government, it only follows that we have to be entrepreneurs to do that. So, um, you know, and also, you know, as a little proof of this, look at this these vaccine mandates with covid right all of these these wage workers are having to be shot up with vaccines whereas no entrepreneur has to do that right mm -hmm. no entrepreneur is going through this so it really does sort of prove the agorist theory that entrepreneurship is mm -hmm. sort of a key to liberty and freedom the, the thing about wage slavery is like when described wage slavery has in the government is taxing your labor that makes sense to me. I hate that attempt and they co-opted by social justice warriors who say I have to work for food. It's like right, come on. Which is which is which is which is just illiteracy is all it yeah. is. It's like you know you don't you don't actually have to work for food. Feel free to to starve. You yeah. Know? It, I think like again like I don't view uh, I as left libertarians. Like I was weird. I'm like I don't know why you guys like get called left libertarians. I don't really see it that much. But in the, like the terms that you guys use are getting co-opted by left. By leftists and the social justice warriors, and it's like well, it's it's, so it's the class, it's the class theory, it's the opposition to wage slavery. But moreover, it's actually anti-political theories, right? Like agorism, are traditionally like left anarchists, whereas right anarchists have been more, um, they've had a higher tolerance for politics than left anarchists have. So that's why that's another that's one of the, that's probably the main reason that we get lumped up into that category. Makes sense. Let's move on. Let's move back to the axiom. Uh, we did the Zenus one. Let's move on to, I think we're on the second axiom. The now. second. Yep. I'll, I'll read this one. The second, the second, the second axiom of algorithm. The agora self-corrects for small. Put 
wow perturbations of Kuepsit. I can I knew the word, but I never actually had to pronounce it before. Hmm. Let's go into that one a bit. So what exactly what exactly does that uh twenty dollars exactly what exactly does that mean? Um, let's see. Well, he says, this axiom leads us to a far more detailed picture of what our nearly free society would look like. It means that free market entities will defend the free market. People will have to choose to do it, of course, but the incentive will be present to motivate them to do so and will be sufficient to motivate enough people to do so. So in other words, I think what he's saying here is that um, in a free market, um, you know, there's always going to be these sort of distortions that occur from like state or criminal like entities but in a free and open market um we'll be more able to self-correct i think those sort of problems will be limited by competitive market forces which we don't have today and things like you know the state monopoly on violence and, and mm. so forth no i agree that makes that makes perfect sense to me um on the, on the point of incentive structures like let's think about these vaccine passports you know that seems like a, a, um, a perfect avenue for agorists right there is to create some of those passports. Yeah, yeah. So I get probably like five messages a day from people asking for fake COVID passports. Hmm. And I'm like, it's like, I, I can't give them to you, but they're not difficult to find. Yeah. They're all over the internet. And I, you know, again, I think it's funny. People didn't turn to the Libertarian Party when when for help here right they didn't turn to militia groups for help they turned to the black market right so it's like that's immediately that the first go-to is is the counter counter economy most people don't realize that they're that they're turning to agorism they just naturally think oh hey the black market can help me out here right because they know that that's where all things good come from right all all good things are voluntary transactions if it if it you know wasn't a good thing that it wouldn't be voluntary I agree. I agree. So let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about the Libertarian Party for a bit. Like, I can't remember if it was you or if it was Pete Quinone, but someone said that if the Libertarian Party like operated like an agorist hub and trained people and taught people how to be agorists uh, and like help them, it would actually serve a purpose. As of now, it kind of serves no purpose. It would. It, what is it? Would a, a, a organization like that serves that purpose become too big for the state to like? Like, how would you have a? How would you have a? an agorist training camp kind of thing that not get taken down by the state for uh, some reason. Like, how could you? Well, you, you know, I'm not sure that that would be the, the, I'm not sure that an appropriate vehicle for that mission would be a political party. Um, I don't, I have nothing good to say about the LP. I mm -hmm. think that it's sort of a whole ruse that the, the, it's, it's a lie that they, that they don't want to win elections and stuff like that. It's just it's just a lie, right? They're running yeah. candidates for office. They're dedicating time, energy, resources to these campaigns. They're celebrating the smallest of electoral victories. They want to be the master, right? It's it's yeah. just another it's just another man after your after your taxes. That's all it is. Um, a lot of times we hear people say, "Oh, well, you know, it's um, they they can play this role as a sort of educational institution," but I don't I don't think that that's I think it's sort of masquerading. Um, mm -hmm. It's a masquerade is really what it is. Yeah. They're not an educational institution. They're a power-seeking mm -hmm. institution. They always will be. That's the way they're, they are by design. And you can't change that. Yeah. If we really do want to educate people, this is the way to, this is the way to do it, right? Through podcasting and, and, mm -hmm. and creating, you know, live streaming and writing books and, and host, hosting events and all sorts of other different ways. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are no shortage of ways to educate people, um, 
without having to violate the non-aggression principle. And there's even, you know, there's a ton of ways to do it in an entrepreneurial fashion so that you can sort of, you know, um, engage, engage the Agora, engage in counter-economics while doing so. Mm. Uh, imagine giving money to the LP when you give money to like, the Mises Institute. Like, just, exactly. just think, let's think about that for a little bit. Like, why? Like, I... It's I so I I gave money because I my first joined up I joined and I got like a new mail letter here or some nonsense <laughs> like oh your latest news of LP news breaking news we still suck at having a conference anything <laughs> right exactly <laughs> meanwhile meanwhile the Mises Institute is doing amazing work right? I go there every day every day I go there also fee the Abbeville Institute like mm -hmm. there's so many great libertarian think tanks out there um, that are that do a better job spending your money. Um, you know, just you know, trading with other other libertarians, other agorists is a, is a better way to spend your money. Burning your money, burying it in the ground, throwing it into the ocean is a better way to spend your money than giving it to um, political bureaucrats. I agree. I, I agree. Yeah, it's it's. They're only uh, going to use it against you. Absolutely. Like I don't know if you a while ago, but like people were like having to make they had to do a separate fundraising event at the LP just to like donate money so they can make a commercial going out against vaccine passports. I'm like, imagine giving extra money to a political campaign so they can make a commercial. It's like that's that's right. a that job already. Exactly, right, right, exactly. And and you know, and sometimes when there's like a serious issue, I think it's funny you'll see like I don't want to name any names, but you'll see people be like, please, LP National. Like condemn this in a tweet, please, and they have to like beg and beg and beg and finally for a tweet. like LP. Like, yeah, ex exactly for a tweet. Two hundred and forty characters. What the hell? For a tweet. For a tweet. So yeah, it's look. It's a and you know Rothbard knew it too. Rothbard mm -hmm. said that this is a great way for um, these sort of like these party bureaucrats to sustain themselves and to sort of eke mm -hmm. out a living and things like that and. Look, you know, I have, I have, I don't have any personal problem with any of these people, of course. And I, I think they are probably all wonderful people. I don't know any of them, but um, you know, it is sort of telling if you think about it. Like a lot of them, I think, have quit their jobs now because they're making so much money off of these donations, and it's, yeah. it's absurd to me. But it's also sad in the sense that you know, there's a limited amount of resources in the liberty movement. So I just don't think that we have the luxury of wasting them on avenues that have been traditionally unproductive right we know that agorism works it has worked it's the only thing that's worked um you know i've got a whole section in my book anti-politics going through the successful applications of, of counter economics i don't think any other faction of the movement could could have written that section because there really aren't any other success stories the yeah. only other possible success story could come from the paleos and um you know, that's, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the Ron Paul movement and, and how they were able to draw so many people, including myself, into the movement. But I would point out that they, they created libertarians and, you know, we agorists are focused on creating liberty. Both goals are mm -hmm. noble. I'm just more interested in the latter, personally. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, on the, huh, what's up? You just said something I wanted to cover, but then you went off on Ron Paul and I got distracted again. Um, Sorry. It's all good. All good. Uh, oh, yeah, you booked the anti-politics. Next payday, I get, I'm picking that book up. I plan to get it, and I'm, gonna read, I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to it. You got next yeah, anti-politics. Check anti -politics. it out. Um, nice. You'll dig it. It's sort of like um, uh, it gives people like a sort of um, – lays the foundation for Agoras mm -hmm. theory. It's sort of really like a, a, a background to, to Agoras theory. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. Uh, well, well, sadly, we're running out of time. Um, 
what would be your number one lesson? If you can give any tip or advice or like a lesson to mainstream libertarians about about what they should do in regarding algorithm and that kind of stuff, what would it be? Oh man. Um, so I guess if I had to pick one, I would say the most important thing anyone can do, the the one thing you can do that has the greatest effect to, to achieve liberty is to become your own bank. Mm. Um, as much as possible. And you can do that through using a combination of cryptocurrencies or precious metals. A lot of crypto people tell you don't use precious metals. A lot of precious metals people tell you don't use crypto. Don't listen to either of them. Use anything that you can to to protect yourself from the, the parasites at the, at the Federal Reserve. But I think it's the most important because I think the Federal Reserve, the central bank, is sort of the, the beating heart of the enemy, right? If it wasn't for the ability to print money, they wouldn't be able to maintain the welfare warfare state. So, mm. um, you know, we're not going to rush into the doors of the Federal Reserve and, and fight them. That's not going to work. We're not going to vote them out. That's not going to work. Mm. Uh, so we have to outcompete them. And the only way to do that is to, um, you know, use different, uh, use, a, use a different medium of exchange. Uh, so become your own bank. And I've got, a, I've got an article on agorasnexus.com, which maybe I'll shoot you the link and you want to throw that in the show notes called um, How I Became My Own Bank and How You Can Too. And I sort of go through it step by step in detail. But that's probably the one thing people could do that has the greatest effect. Um, if you're not into crypto, get yourself a 3D printer. You can get it from me for cryptocurrency, 3dprintergobird.com. Or grow your own food. <laughs> Growing your own food is actually one of the most underrated and low-risk ways to engage the counter economy. It's a great way to deny the parasites. Mm -hmm. uh, tax revenue protects you from... Um, Supply chain disruption and, uh, you know, denying people food has always been one of the state's mm. first tools that they use is to, they try mm. to starve, starve out enemy populations. Churchill did it. They're going to do it again. So mm. become your own bank, get a 3D printer and grow your own food. Mm. Speaking of uh, how like counter-economic money say, um, and money about money, did you see the new law in Florida where it's like any transaction over $600 to report to the IOS? I like think that's 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 nationwide now. Nation, that's Biden. That's that's not DeSantis. That's that's nationwide. Yeah. Uh, that's just another reason. That's another reason to become your own bank, though. Yeah. Right. Because if you, um, you know, if you buy something from me for six hundred dollars, or I buy something for you for six hundred dollars, and we conduct that exchange using cryptocurrency or silver coins, mm -hmm. they know nothing of it. They know nothing about it. Right. So. And, you know, that's one of the things, is I, and this is the whole point of agorism, is that, you know, as they sort of um, prohibit more and more transactions, as the state sort, sort of starts to wither away, and be, they're going to become more desperate. They sort of flop around mm -hmm. like a fish out of water, gasping for air. As they become more desperate, they're going to sort of prohibit more and more aspects of daily life. And they're going to drive those things into the realm of counter-economics until eventually we sort of snuff out the white markets. And that's the whole point here. So in a way, it's sort of a good thing that they're um, prohibiting yeah. all these things. It sucks that they're infringing on people's rights, but I think it's a sign that they're, that they're not, they're not as healthy or, or as stable as yeah. they want us to, to, to believe. Yeah. That's, that's what I was saying about when I've been, I, I found out about my first thought was, this is going to put more people to crypto and that's good. Exactly. Like that is, that yeah. is kind of the acceleration of this argument in a bit where it's like, Hey, if we can make things bad and it will push people towards the, the counter economy and actually make things better or faster. Yeah. That, that's why I tell people collapsitarianism is really just a branch <laughs> of agorism. <laughs> uh, do you know, do you know who Jared from at in democracy is? He's a guy from poppy and org. 
you seen him on Twitter? Um, I think I think I follow him on Twitter, but I don't think I've ever like interacted with him. Uh, he is he's great. He has a thing about uh, hate is great. I want people to hate their neighbors. I want them to hate the left. I like the faster they realize it's not your neighbors, they are your enemies. The faster we can succeed and separate. So hate is great. That's his. <laughs> So much blood and hate. And it's like that and the collaboratory. I'm like, this is my negativity. And I can finally aim my negativity somewhere. Yeah. You know, I used to know someone who used to say that rather than abiding by the non-aggression principle, the principle that we should abide by is don't trust anyone. And I think that, and I always tried to refute that, but I never actually could, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, what can people find you at? Like, um, where can, you, where can you get a hold of you? Where can they follow you on Twitter? Go ahead and plug yourself. Um, yeah, so I'm at Sally Mayweather or Salvia Gorist on all your different social media platforms. Um, SalviaGorist.com is where I post most of my stuff. Um, Pod is the Agora. The blog is New Libertarian. 3D Printer Go Burr.com for 3D printers. Agora Threads for Libertarian Apparel. And, of course, you can you know use cryptocurrency and all those different things. Um, and the book, the book is anti-politics. Check that out on Amazon. If you prefer, if you prefer to pay with crypto, shoot me a DM and we'll, we'll work something out. Base. Okay, guys, we're gonna another episode of the Catholic Libertarian Book Club. Uh, read more books and hate the state. <laughs>